welcome to episode 50 ding, of Yelling About Comics. Tonight, my lovely co-host, Miss Carrie Hody, hello, and I, hello, are going to talk about something that I think took us both by surprise. We've talked about it a little bit, like kind of in passing here, but I thought it might make, we thought that it would be a good to dedicate a whole episode to it, because I think we've, again, I think we've both been super surprised by this. And it's Doom Patrol, which you'd have to be living under a rock to have not heard about this. It's the other <laughs> show on DC Universe right now after Titans. Well, the other um, original live action yes. show. Mm -hmm. And I think, at least I know me, when they first announced Doom Patrol, I remember thinking, what? And that seemed to be the general consensus of, like, the internet, too, was... What? I didn't say what. I said, who? <laughs> also fair. Also very fair. Um, yeah, and I think, and you know, DC did a big, I mean, they did a big push publicity-wise to, like, really educate people on who the Doom Patrol was. And oddly, I think it didn't really necessarily help my hype for it. Because reading about it, I was like, oh, right, this is DC's X-Men. I forgot about this. And do we really need another group of mutant slash metahuman people things with a guy in a wheelchair, really? So I was kind of, eh. And then the pilot episode in Titans kind of got me excited for it. I would say, so far, the series is very, very different than that pilot episode. Like, really different. So the funny thing is, I started watching Doom Patrol before I watched Titans. So I think, oh. so I think there was like maybe like two episodes of Doom Patrol out. So I watched those first two episodes and then I watched Titans. So when I got to that episode where they're in Titans, I was very confused. Right. <laughs> I was like, like, oh, did Cliff become cool all of a sudden and not so angry? And, you know, uh, Larry is chill. Just, Super chill. Yeah. Like, I don't remember if Jane was there. I don't think so. She's not there, no. No. Because remember, Beast Beast Boy was there. Well, right, right. Of course, and then when, when that'll happen, with you know, Beast Boy being there, I went, oh, that's right. He was a member of the Doom Patrol. I'd totally forgotten because it was probably some of my least favorite episodes um, from the, teen, the original Teen Titans series. It was mm -hmm. the ones where he was with the, the Doom Patrol. Right. Right, and it... I mean, it seemed kind of random. When you think about, like, the people they have, <laughs> they're very much a product of their time because you oh, have yes. robot man, right? negative man, mm -hmm. which I don't know what I was expecting for negative man when he kind of reveals that he's just, like, totally burned up. It's like, oh... Okay, you're like Dark Man. Like, I feel like there's a better name we could have gone with with Negative Man. Like, I guess I was actually, like, expecting him to be, like, turned inside out or something like that. Because you remember, again, in that Titans episode, when he says to um, Starfire, he's like, you don't want to see what I look like under these bandages. And she flashes her eyes at him, and she's like, same. So I was like, oh, he must be, like, really gnarly. Like, oh, he's just, I mean, he's not not gnarly, but, you know. You're just a bad burn victim. 
So my, my husband calls him mummy man. It's accurate. Yeah. I actually <laughs> yeah. thought, to be honest, that he was like invisible. You know? Yeah, that was the other, that was my the other place that I went, especially when he said negative man, right? I was like, oh, he's either inside out or invisible. Like there's nothing under there. Which would make sense to me why he's like totally wrapped up in bandages, right? So that way you know, right. what, know what to look at. I mean, although, you know, a burn victim like that would probably be totally wrapped up in bandages as well or be dressed in a Deadpool costume. You know, what obs. Right. You know, either one, but. But yeah, so that was kind of, huh, a little kind of, I guess a little, I was, ex like you said, I was expecting a little bit more out of it because, yeah, because again, I didn't know anything about Doom Patrol. I, I... Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. So, I mean, I didn't really knew. And then you had Elastic Woman, who, which again, not a very inspired name. And even still, I mean, in the series, she's only had one episode where she's, or this last episode, she's definitely starting to learn kind of how to get control over herself. Mm -hmm. She's only had one episode where she really goes elastic when she pushes that guy up against the wall. Which, okay. And then But I think Crazy that happened because she wasn't thinking about it. Right, exactly. It was very reactionary. And uh, Crazy Jane. And then, so I really was not, the thing that sold me on this series was when they announced Alan Tudyk as the villain. Because I'll watch anything that Alan Tudyk does. Hmm. Um, so that convinced me to take give it a chance. And holy cow. I have been super on board with the series since episode one, really. And episode one really went back and forth between being really funny and mm -hmm. really horrific. Yeah. You know, like the very beginning, it starts off with, you know, Alan Tudyk saying, you know, this story begins like every story with a mad Nazi scientist. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, and then he talks to me about, oh, you're rolling your eyes about the idea of another superhero group. Or I think in episode two, he was like, congratulations, you all made it past the pilot. <laughs> Just a lot yeah, and he said something about like how it's only Reddit fans who are still around or something, something like that. that. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of fourth wall breaking and... Um, just tons of it like a lot of humor and so much and then you get to cliff and how he got to becoming robot man i was like okay like can we have the laughs back because i was not expecting something like this yeah well and i was so this last episode we were just talking about so there was one moment, which we're going to come back to it, because I think it was deep with all kinds of meaning. But aside from Cyborg, who had some funny little quips and stuff, it was a pretty heavy episode, like mm -hmm. very serious. I would say probably 80% of it's very serious. And so as we were watching it, I was even thinking, I was like, oh, God, are they really going to go this serious with this show? And then a talking rat showed up. And I remember just feeling like steam escaping. I was just like, oh, phew. <laughs> like, okay. But they're really, they seem really good about heavy drama and serious stuff, but then breaking it with some levity. And not, not levity that feels forced. Like, oh, shit, we got to cram a joke in here. Throw something in. Because, mm -hmm. like, I know we've talked about this with some of the Marvel movies. 
some of the Marvel movies are really guilty of that, where they go super, super heavy, and then all of a sudden somebody's just like, random joke, and you're like, uh, that kind of, that kind of, that kind of felt forced and didn't really land. Um, but then other times they're really good about it. But so I think Doom Patrol has been <laughs> really good about it, or using their humor to keep it really off the wall, like with a preaching cockroach. I got nothing, you know, you're preaching cockroach up and I'm like, all right, sure. Why not? <laughs> you know what? There's a glowing eyeball in the sky that's blinking people out of existence. So why not a talking cockroach who's discussing whether or not there will be cheese after the apocalypse with the rat who we now know is Admiral Whiskers. Oh, the rat's named. Like, I should make that clear. This is a named NPC. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Well, amazing. It's really Because he jumps into Cliff's room and says, my name is Admiral Whiskers. You killed my mother. Prepare for revenge. I'm like, oh, you really, (laughs) you were towing that line. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, that was, I mean, but it's stuff like that where it's so off the wall, and yet it totally works. But, again, they balance it with moments. So, like, not this episode, but the episode before, when they go and they discover what happened to the OG Doom Patrol, that episode broke my heart. They were, again, dealing with some funny stuff, but also some very... The thing that I liked about it is that not only was it very sad, it also painted... Timothy Dalton's amazing. <laughs> Timothy Dalton is flawless. His chief seems like this really nice guy who just wants to help people, but... They also added a complex layer to him with that last episode, too. Right, where it's like, you know, he was a really big part of that original Doom Patrol, but then after Mr. Nobody broke them, he just kind of dumped him in this home, literally just dumped him with this other um, psychiatrist who's there, you know, monitoring their meds, making sure everything's okay. But it's like he had broken toys and didn't want to play with them anymore. And just, exactly, I think that's exactly how Jane works it. Right, and just, you know, tossed him into the trunk and closed it. And that's yeah. it. They're up on a shelf now. and Right. It, actually, that was the first thing that I thought about was that uh, Toy Story. I think it's Toy Story 2. Mm-hmm. Where everybody's like, oh, Woody got shelved. These, these guys got shelved. Right. And the fact that they were all kind of tormenting themselves about it too that was that was a little it was a little alarming and disturbing and i liked it because usually a lot of times in superhero shows they're like that's a common plot device right where oh there's a dark secret and they find out the dark secret and a lot of times i'm like that's it like that could easily be explained away or like there's clearly another rational explanation for this even though you're Assuming best intentions, right? These mm-hmm. people are assuming worst. But this was... There's there's really no hand-waving that away. And right. being like, oh, well, clearly he wants the best for them. Not really. Well, we don't know well, either. That's true, too. Because he's not around to defend himself. That's true, too. It would have to be a damn good explanation. But, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And... The continued, I think that episode too really cemented, because previously 
Mr. Nobody has proved to be a very interesting villain, villain mm-hmm. and very fun, but they hadn't really established him as necessarily being effective. And I thought that was nice. Just a nice little, oh, by the way, this is what this guy does to people. Oh, yeah, like the turning the cops into pinatas. That was just, and yes, that sounds funny. Except that, you know, they really weren't pinatas, but the people thought they were pinatas and were beating the cops to death and eating their insides because they thought it was candy. I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, even if that story, it's hard to tell what was real and what wasn't in that. Mm -hmm. It it seemed like something he would do. Right. Even with the Perry Como's hot diggity. (laughs) That made me laugh. Um, Yeah, so they've done a good job of establishing him, but he still still remains funny. Like, they did that whole, the whole, the episodes with... um, the cult of the unwritten book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. Nobody shows up and he's just like, I haven't even been in the last two episodes. <laughs> it's wonderful. I love the idea that he realizes that he's in. I love the idea that he can break this fourth wall and he realizes he's telling a story to someone. I mean, he calls himself a narrator. Mm-hmm. Constantly. Which, if you think about it too, is really interesting because... Most shows, the villain is not your narrator. Right, right. Which, that's a bold choice. It is. And, um... So far, it's working, though. It is. It's working really well, actually. And I do like that the narrator, they aren't abusing the narrator. Like, he's not there narrating every single episode or narrating... You know, a lot of times in movies and in TV shows, sometimes a narrator will come in and say something and you're like, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm watching the show, I get it. I don't feel like he's over, they're not abusing it, so he's over-explaining every scene and stuff no. like that. They've definitely gone more prudent with him. The first two episodes, he's pretty heavy. Actually, probably three, really, up until they go into the donkey. Right. As one does. Right. Makes sense to me. Totally makes sense to me. But the thing, the interesting thing that I wanted to talk about from this last episode was Cyborg. So Cyborg, um, I love the Cyborg. I think he's really fun. I did like the line where they were, people were like, say booyah. Do I say that a oh lot? Oh my God, that laugh made me laugh so hard. You have said I love booyah that. 31 times over the last month, well over the threshold for a catchphrase. It's like, damn. <laughs> Um, I loved that, but he, there, and this is, this is an interesting narrative tone, and I hope they don't go too overboard with it. They're establishing that maybe his dad doesn't have his best interests at heart, or that his dad's having trouble giving up control of him. So that's a common theme in the comics too. Right. So the two, so that's, I would, that's, I would love to get your opinion on this. Let's start with the one really dark thing is that in one episode, Mr. Nobody's kind of talking, trying to torment the heroes, and he's replaying Cyborg's memory of his mother dying. Mm -hmm. And Cyborg's like, I see this all the time. I already know about this. You can't hurt me with this. And Mr. Nobody's like, yeah, your dad does help you with his memories, with your memories, doesn't he? 
oh, oh. <laughs> so I don't know if that's Mr. Nobody sowing seeds of distrust for the lulls, or if there really is something there. Well, and the um, the rebirth uh, mm -hmm. of a uh, of cyborg. I thought to say the rebirth, reboot, what, whatever. Yeah. When cyborg was part of part of the rebirth uh, of DC, the DC rebirth, um, he finds out accidentally that he had a really serious relationship before the accident that he has no memory of at all that his dad removed. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it was that the woman he had a serious relationship with was actually one of his dad's assistants. He was constantly working with him all the time and oh. not saying anything because she would hope that he remembered on his own. And that never got resolved. It got canceled before, before right. it could get re resolved. But yes, um, and there is a, many times where he does come to his dad. It's just like, you know, what else are you keeping from me? What else have you removed from my, my memory banks? And there's been this huge thing that maybe Silas has removed lots of things or implanted lots of things or really tries to control what Vic does, what he remembers what he um mm -hmm. what he's able to do things like that so there was which all kind of tied into you know with the whole the original theme in that rebirth comic was he didn't know who he was right and there seems to be a fair amount of that with him right now so that's interesting that you brought that up about the relationship because i read an interesting fan theory that would make sense so Generally speaking, obviously not in every series, but generally speaking, one of the important things about Cyborg is he's always had this friendship with Beast Boy. He and Beast Boy, that those two have always been very integral to one another. And it's established that Cyborg had gone to the mansion to see like where the Doom Patrol is many, many times. He was familiar with these people. So the fact that he wouldn't know Beast Boy would be kind of weird, right? Mm -hmm. There's a line in this last episode... <laughs> where he finds out that he has basically a tender account. Right. Cash. And uh, his dad says, oh, I've been controlling all of your social media access because I didn't want you to have any distractions. So one of the fan theories that I read that I was like, oh, that makes so much sense, is that maybe Gar was one of the casualties of that. Because Could we be. can't have any distractions, and Gar is certainly not, not a bad influence. But probably not, like, the two feed off of each other pretty well, right? right? Yeah. Well, I mean, Gar's the fun. Mm -hmm. The fun one. So he... The thing about Silas is that I do believe Silas does have Vic's best interests at heart. Right. But... So, yeah, all right. So, growing up, um, I didn't really because I was trying to be perfect child all the time. But, you know, my sister mm -hmm. had friends my mom did not approve of. Right. And and that, that's, that happens with, with, with parents. But now Silas, he may not have ever wanted Vic to be around those friends. But now he has a way of making sure 
he's not around those right. friends by making him forget. So, oh yeah. So it's one of those things like he has his best interest at heart because you don't need distractions. You don't need friends who will not make you better in Silas's opinion. Right. But then, but at the same time, it will make Vic, you know, question mm-hmm. what's been going on with me really over the last few years. Well, and I think that didn't help Mr. Nobody's seed of doubt. Mm-hmm. So, oh, Mr. Nobody knows. That... He knows. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, Mr. Nobody does know, absolutely. And so it could have been, like, he could know that ah, everything's fine here, but I'm going to mess with this kid because this will put him off kilter. And... um he knew exactly where to hit. And then this little piece of evidence certainly didn't help. Right. But it is interesting to me that they're going with that backstory that his, that Vic's willful, strong personality and his want to do his own thing and not listen to his parents resulted in this horribly tragic death of his mother. Mm Mm-hmm. When Silas is definitely trying to keep him on the straight and narrow, what better way to do that than to have him remember that? Oh, you remember that one time that you decided you weren't going to stay on the straight and narrow? Remember that? Mm-hmm. Right. So it would be a. I don't know. I could see it going either way. <laughs> either way. Right. And it's an interesting piece of him, I think. I mean, the actor they got for Silas is pretty much is what I always imagined Silas to be like. Like, it's mm-hmm. almost like they took him out of the comics and, and, and put him here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy that, as a parent, I understand, but yet I yes. can't condone or agree with what he's doing. Correct. He, yeah, I can look at him and I can say, I'm sympathetic and I understand. <laughs> but there's a better way to go about this. The problem with Just Silas saying. is that he's such a scientist, he doesn't see. Well, he's looking at things very logically. That's the other problem with mm-hmm. him, right? Mm-hmm. Is that he's looking at this, okay, well, this is the optimal path, and you have to stay on the optimal path if you want to get optimal results. Right, like the you know, early memory that Cyborg had that they showed in mm-hmm. this episode, where he had dislocated his arm by falling out of a tree. Well, what does dad tell mm-hmm. him to do? His dad said, stay out of trees. You should never climb trees. Right. Because logically, you know, the chance of you getting hurt will increase if you go climb a tree. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to go climb a tree. <laughs> so he did right. it anyway, took a risk, and fell and dislocated his shoulder. And he became terrified of his dad getting on to him because you know parents my parents did it i'm sure your parents did i'm sure i've i know i've done it been like i told you that would happen mm-hmm. absolutely it's like i got when my uh, oldest son was uh, five and i told him to not play on the arms of the couch and he kept doing it and i kept telling him it's like get off there on the couch stop doing that well one day he fell off backwards and broke his collarbone and while he's there screaming, because he's in a lot of pain, it took so much energy for me not to say, that's why I said, don't play on the arm of the couch. This is what parents do. Oh, yeah. But I, but, and I think, unfortunately, Silas, yes, I was upset with Gabe, but I was more worried about him. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially when I said, well, you know, you're going to have to go to a doctor to get that looked at because he kept complaining about it and he was like okay I was like you're gonna have to get a shot and he was like okay I'm like 
Whoa. Oh, <laughs> this, okay, is, this is really bad. Yeah. But the problem it's is funny Silas we use is the same that threat. he, he yeah, Silas, he can't, he can't reason that far back. All he would no. be like, like, I was right, you were wrong, and let me tell you. Instead of, oh my gosh, like, you know, I know you dislocated your shoulder. Are you okay? I'm so sorry you got hurt. That's mm-hmm. just not how Silas operates. And that's that's the biggest uh, wedge that's been between them in the comics as well. And I think it's so cool that that's real, that they've really had that here. Right. Well, that's what I was really interested in your take on that. Because I remember when you were reading Cyborg and you would talk a lot about his dad... And I remember, like, so that's why I was curious whether or not they were going that route. And it is a very, it's an interesting route that they're going because if you think about it, too, Cyborg is a cyborg, so he's part machine, right? But he's a very gregarious character, right? He wants to still be cool, and he still wants to be a young man. And his dad, who is totally human, is the one who is very methodical and cold and mm-hmm. robotic. Right. So it's kind of a fun back and forth that I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I think the kid who they cast is doing a pretty good job with them. Yes. Um, <laughs> I really like how he and Robot Man, Cliff, play off one another. There is, I can't, I think there's, there's it's, it's a few things, right? The fact that Cyborg came in and Vic came in and was just immediately like, okay, clearly I'm the leader because I have the most experience with this. I have the desire to eventually be in the Justice League. And y'all clearly don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so, you know, he really came in and like, I've got this. And I think Cliff is a little jealous of that for one thing. <laughs> I think somewhere in Cliff's mind, he kind of wanted to be that person that everybody looked to. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't quite have the tools for it yet, or I don't even know if he really realizes it yet even. But also the fact that a constant thing with Cliff is that he can't feel anything anymore. He's lost all the parts of being human. And Cyborg still has that. Because Cyborg's only half robot. Right. So I think there is that big jealousy there, too. That it's an interesting element to him. I think, for me, I love Rita. I think Rita's probably my favorite character on the show. Rita's absolutely my my favorite character. She has so much depth to her. And the actress who portrays her is just perfect. Just... Oh, yes. Spot on perfect. Like, through everything, you know, you know, going through her when she's totally arrogant, when she's happy, when she's sad, when she's scared, when she's trying to deny things, you know, like this huge gamut of emotions ranges in Rita. And I love like how she's developing as as this goes. Like, we still don't know her big dark secret. We know it's something to do with a baby and a woman killing herself. Well, the woman killing herself I think you could basically infer what happened there that because you remember they start the episode <laughs> it was a fun conversation with our daughter um, they start the episode with her going to see a producer and he's like okay if you want to roll right yeah you basically have to have sex with me and so she sits on his lap and she's clearly uncomfortable and it's kind of morbidly funny because she kills him accidentally right. If you remember when the girl at the end shows up to kill herself, 
she's yelling at Rita. She's like, you sent me to him. You sent me to him. And then she slashes her wrists open. Oh, okay. So I guess I didn't, I didn't hear her say, you so sent think, me to him. Yeah. And um, so it, I could be wrong, but the inference that I had there was that this girl, I think, either wanted a role or something. Rita basically didn't prep her. And something untoward happened, which mm -hmm. I think you could probably, we can probably guess, right? Um, that was awful. And so I think those two things, that's at least that was my opinion on it. But yeah, there's, so that's, that's horrible, right? There's something with the baby. Mm -hmm. Which I kind of laughed this last episode because when she, at one point she's kind of lost control because she still can't quite, once she goes full blob, when she loses control of her emotions, she can't quite regain herself, but she's getting there. But at one point she's crawling on the ground and she's really angry and frustrated and upset and like a crib looms before her and she says something about, I've had enough with the creepy baby imagery. <laughs> Oh, good. Me too, actually. But no idea what's there. Right. And she is, she is big. Again, when she's in that vulnerable position and she's like, ugh, I'm just a gross slime ball. And then she's like, I've always been a gross slime that, ball. Yeah, that whole conversation with herself was like, oh my gosh. that Now she's really, you know, getting into like the... the the root of the matter because she's she's like you know maybe i've always been this disgusting blob well maybe i should just be the best disgusting blob i can be i love and then that she's able to like you know get two arms to help her you know finally get that bathrobe and crawl up the stairs mm -hmm. and so even when she starts yes. getting real with herself in the group therapy session you know like she, she doesn't her legs yeah she uh you know she doesn't uh tell everything but when she starts discussing that you know she's always been like somebody else she's she doesn't want she doesn't want to be that person anymore but she doesn't know who she is without that person i mean the whole thing with her parents really made me sad oh it made me terribly sad that she was basically a showbiz kid right her parents found a meal ticket Right, they put her and in pageants. They they pulled put her out of they pulled her out of school they, for singing and dance lessons and mm -hmm. all of that. Right, and when she's trying to introduce herself to this actress, they're like, "Ah, uh -uh, your stage name." Right, which is Rita Farr. Rita Farr, which I thought was a nice moment too. I actually thought they were going to reveal her real name, but mm -mm, she does not. Which I thought was kind of interesting too. But yeah, I liked this idea that Rita Farr's not even a person. This is entirely an image that her parents helped her craft and she has crafted. Right. And um so I liked that in the very beginning of the series, she starts off very cold, very aloof, which I actually liked about her because she was still likable. Mm -hmm. But she was very much, I'm not gonna be a superhero, this is stupid shit. I'm going to be off just minding my own business. And slowly but surely we see her evolving into that, okay, we've got to help other people. Like, we right. need to do something here. Which, I like that. It's nice. It's a good redemption arc for her, right? And it's been very gradual and very believable. You yes, know, it, it started, wasn't like one episode. Right. And, you know, it started with the, um, well, it started kind of with the, I guess, the end of the first episode where she agreed to turn the bus around 
and mm-hmm. go back and, and help Cliff. But then it really started to set in in the, um, was it, what's it called? The unwritten book? Mm-hmm. Um, and she wanted to help that kid. Yeah. Because at first she, like, she wanted really nothing to, help to do with him. it. And then she was just like, mm-hmm. and then she was like, okay, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not a hero, but I'm going to do my best to make sure that no one kills you. Right. Well, it's when he's sitting on that window, the which bench. is also a funny scene, when he's on the window ledge. Mm-hmm. And he's going to throw himself off. And she comes over and she's like, you wouldn't even kill yourself at this height. Right. You just, like, grievously injure yourself. And then after she says it, she's like, okay, come on. <laughs> you know, and she, she does the right thing. Which, it's such a nice moment for her. I really, I genuinely love what they're doing with her. I do like this last episode, too, with Larry, Mummy Man. (laughs) I liked the idea that, I think that was, so when he's in that romantic tryst with his uh, boyfriend, I think that was the spirit trying to talk to him, like telling him, you've got to enjoy this moment, stop tormenting yourself, basically. Like, because he spends so much time tormenting himself. And I think the spirit that's in him is kind of trying to be like, you need to, you need to chill, buddy. Mm-hmm. Which I liked. That was a nice layer to him, too. And him, too. He's also with Rita. Like, nope, not getting involved. And now he is starting to be like, okay, we can do some stuff to help people. Right. He's been the slowest to come around, but I like that. For me, and I can't figure out if it's the actress or just the character, I really don't like Crazy Jane. See, and I was thinking about this about this earlier, and I think that the actress, especially this last episode, she is phenomenal at doing these personalities like so fast, and she mm-hmm. really makes them very clear which which one is is which. I think she's doing fine. I am sick of Jane's shtick, and it's more Me like too. I. More like I hate Hammerhead. And I think it's because it keeps going back and forth between Jane and Hammerhead. You have this really nice girl who's trying to figure things out. And then you just have this raging bitch who just says fuck all the time and wants to destroy things. It's getting old. It's getting old. And I think the thing that I don't like is that there's Jane, who is this kind of scared, earnest girl who wants to help people. Baby doll. Who's a really cutesy little girl, and who I really I, I like that one. Um, there was the doctor, Doctor Harrison, who was clearly a very different personality. I love. And then Dr. there's like Harrison. six. Oh, she was great. And then there's like six or eight different versions of Hammerhead. There's the metal girl who's just Hammerhead, but can don't get me wrong, being able to say words and have them turn into throwable metal objects is really cool. But she's just a variety of Hammerhead. The flaming, the big giant flame thing. Flaming Hammerhead. Um, who's the other one? There's well, there, another one that's well, just there's Hammerhead. Flick who doesn't say anything. Just teleports. Oh yeah, Flit who just... Yep. Just teleports. But it's... She's basically cutesy, earnest, or angry. Oh, there's and also... they use the angry a lot. Was the Penny? What's her name? Oh, yes. Um, oh shit, what is her name? 
Penny Farthing. Penny Farthing. Penny Farthing. Okay. Who is just very scared and very nervous. And I liked that. I actually liked that episode a lot. Because when she shows up, he's like, Cliff is talking to her and he's like, where's Hammerhead? And she's like, Hammerhead had to be relieved for a little while. I liked that idea that she can't always be angry. But then they break it by making her angry all the time. Yeah, she's Hammerhead yeah. way, way too much. and Basically all the time. Right, and it's like this thing with like her and Cliff that's going on is never going to be healed if she's always Hammerhead. Right. And, yeah. I think that's the part that I'm really struggling with. Is that, and I can't figure out if it's, like if they would have cast a different actress as her, if I would have liked it better, but I think no, it's, as you said, it's just the stick. And yeah. I don't like that we keep going back to this. She's pissed off and angry at Cliff and not going to talk to him. I feel like every, almost every episode, it ha there has to be a scene with Cliff being like, come on, Hammerhead. I'm over it. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, and it's, I'm but over it. it's also because of you know Hammerhead. You know when Jane comes down the mm -hmm. stairs and she sees Cliff trying to eat toast, and she's like, "Cliff, like, what are you doing? Like being earnest and nice?" And he just immediately assumes it's Hammerhead giving him shit, and he snaps at her. She's like, mm -hmm. "What did I do?" You know, she also has no no recollection, which is actually. But one thing I loved about you know when she was having her argument with Hammerhead. Yes. Down in the basement. Mm-hmm. I, that was very sad when she's, because there's all these videos of her and Hammerhead decides that they're not good and it, she starts destroying them all. Because And then because it's Hammerhead just going is, back and forth. Because Hammerhead is mad at Chief. Hammerhead's super mad at Chief. Right. And so I liked the idea that, I liked that scene where she was arguing with herself because it feels like, in my mind at least, Jane needs to come to some kind of accord. She needs to get some... For an active plot arc, she needs to be able to get some sort of control over these personalities, or at least some kind of... Have the characters talk to one another in a productive dialogue, at least, to be like, hey, you know what, I need to take over now, or at least I know what happened with Hammerhead. Let's go back. Um, because... I will be very disappointed in the show if she begins and ends the series in the same spot. Right. You know, I need I need some Jane growth. Not even hammerhead growth, I need Jane growth. So that I'm not super loving. But if I had to argue the biggest weak spot of the show, I would actually argue it's Cliff. I like his story. I like everything about him and I love Brendan Fraser and I'm so, because I'm from the nineties. So of course I love Brendan Fraser and I'm so happy he has work, but he doesn't have a great voice. And when you have Rita and uh, Larry and Jane and the chief on the screen, Owen oh, Alan Tudyk on the screen, all doing a great job. He just feels like the weakest link. I think the problem there is that, you know, like um, her Tara strong say this, you know, an actor is not always a voice actor. Right. You know, and those other actors and actresses 
they might not be as good with voice work either. You know, Alan Tudyk's right. good. Timothy Dalton's good with voice work. Um, but those might be the might be the, the only two. I think the thing about Brendan Fraser, though, is that maybe he doesn't have, like, the best voice work, but at the same time, he does have that perfect voice for a former NASCAR redneck. Yes. Um, so he definitely sounds like a guy who was basically a who's a bit of a hedonist, basically accustomed to getting everything he wanted and being the boss of mm -hmm. his life. And now he's not, which is, it's sad, but I do, I just don't love his voice work. And it's hard because he does, it's all he has, right? I mean, the robot has zero. So I like him. But there are scenes where I'm like, oh, buddy, you're barely holding your own here. Especially with Rita, like the therapy session. When Rita's pouring her heart out, right? Yeah. I well, did, he did do a good job going manic, though. But also the rat was, or Admiral Whiskers was wreaking havoc, which now makes sense why he was just like, he was doing like very inappropriate, making very inappropriate yes. comments in the middle of the group therapy. I was like, dude, what are you doing? And, you know, he kept like tapping and she's like, stop it and like oh oh i'm sorry but then keeps won't sit still right yeah no that was that was good it that was actually probably the best acting we've had from him all the whole series so far is because he was doing a very good manic impression if you've ever been around a person going through a like going into a manic cycle or something he did it very well. Like, as you were saying, just like these inappropriate outbursts and just this, ah, so much energy, he can't control it. Like, he was doing a really good job with that, actually. He and Admiral Whiskers. <laughs> oh, I, did it to, is... I did to say, though, when Hammerhead said that really mean thing to Cliff. Yes. No one got on her. But when he snapped back... Everyone was on his case. And I was just like, yeah. wait, wait, hold on a second. This is not exactly fair. Like, he's been trying to reach out to her every episode. And she does that every single time where she just totally cuts him down to how worthless he is and useless he is. And he's not even really a man because he's just, you know, a brain and a robot shell. Things that really would hurt anybody. He says one thing and she acts like... She's like, well, thanks for your honesty. And, like, her whole world is crushed and everyone's on Cliff's case. And it's like, oh, hold on a second, people. That is another thing I don't like, is that... So, I did like when Cliff said... Because this was 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. When he was like, I'm the only one who likes you. And I only like 164th of you. So, that was very honest. Because Rita can't stand Jane. Right. Larry has no use for her. Cyborg has already kind of proved that he's, she's just a little too unstable for him. He's not super into her either. I think really, well, the chief probably likes her too, right? Because he cares about her. But yeah, I mean, that wasn't inaccurate. And yet everybody does treat her with kid gloves. And I don't know if it's because they're afraid of her, because she has some very dangerous personalities. So I don't know if they're just like, oh God, it's like a, it's like a time bomb. Don't set it off. Just keep it happy. Or if there is just some horrible, horrible, unfair thing going on here. Yeah, but Rita 
in the beginning was just as mean to Jane. Oh yeah, very much so. So that's the thing that I don't, and that it also could have just been because everybody was pretty pissed at him about the whole therapy thing, right? Because he was acting inappropriate all around. I think that was also kind of everybody just being like, what is wrong with you right now? Well, he had a rat doing the tap dance on his brain. Well, they didn't know that. Well, they did it so in funny. the end. <laughs> oh, yeah, they did in the end. The, uh, yeah, the show has just proven... I mean, there's a few complaints I have with it, but overall, it has just proven to be a really strong, competent superhero show. And despite... Despite the thing... Like, as you were saying in that first episode, Mr. Nobody makes so many quips about, oh, another superhero series. And when he talks about how, like, they turned into the team that nobody saw coming except for everybody. Right. <laughs> Despite all of their quips about that, it's it does actually feel pretty unique. Well, it, it is very unique. Because, I mean, yes, you can say, like, oh, this is, like, DC's X-Men. But at the same time, they're not. Mm-mm. It's, um, I don't even know, I can't even say that they're metahumans. No, they're not really. Uh, because like you know, Cliff, he's literally a brain and in a robot. In a robot, I don't know why anybody thought that was good for anybody, to be honest. But all right, uh, you know, Jane, she know her per- some of her personalities have metahuman qualities, but she's just basically a, unfortunately, this kid with dissociative identity disorder with a lot of identities, and some of them happen to have metahuman powers. And, you know, Rita, I think they explained what happened to her, but it's not a metahuman thing. You know, Cyborg's not a metahuman thing. Um, Larry is not a metahuman thing. So, you know, and you can say it's the X-Men because Chief's in a wheelchair, but he's not a telepath. Right. Um, he's just a guy he's trying just a to guy, help Like a really smart scientist who apparently yeah. every now and then dabbles in the occult. And, you know... I think I actually like that better. I right. like the idea that they don't... I mean, that some of them have some powers, but Cliff's just strong because he's just a metal robot. Right. I mean, some of the stuff... I, I think that's a thing that I really do like about it, too. And I know that we had talked about this. I had made a joke about this earlier, but it is, like... Again, some of the X-Men, especially in the movies, right? It's pretty people with problems. This is, like, people who very much have things that prevent them from dealing with the outside world. Jane can't keep control of her personalities and some of her personalities have no business being, I mean, if you remember, there was a video where they talked about Katie coming out in a store and Katie is the being of pure fire. That would be terrible. And, um, obviously Rita, (laughs) Well, that, Obviously. We, we also learned, though, that Jane is not even the main personality. She's not. And so that's... That's interesting, too. But, like, yeah, she can't really go out. Larry, obviously not. Rita, obviously not. Cliff, obviously not. Cyborg, kind of. But I think the, the cash stuff kind of established that he is becoming kind of a famous guy. So he's never going to just be like a guy anymore, mm-hmm. even though he wants to be, right? It, uh, so I think that makes the show really interesting because you do have this group of people who will, why the hell are they 
were confined to a mansion. Oh, <laughs> that's why. Right, because so like, even like in it. the early X-Men, like the only one who really had problems of the original five was Scott. Right. And and to be fair, I think anybody would have problems if they couldn't ever remove their Ruby Quartz glasses because they would fry right. everybody. Uh, but he was really the only one because, you know, Angel, he figured out how to like hide his wings and, mm -hmm. you know, Bobby could control his ice and Beast. I mean, he wasn't blue and furry back then. <laughs> nope. You know, and Jean Grey, I mean, she, she, you know, hers were all powers of the mind, so she just, you know, looked like just a reg ordinary girl. Just a person. Right. So it wasn't really until, like, later that they started, you know, stacking on the drama. Mm -hmm. Versus Doom Patrol, like, the reason why these guys are all here is because they all have these, these misfortunate things happen to them, and it's really fucked them all up. Yeah, for sure. And that's, on one hand, like part of me would generally be kind of angry that everybody has a tragic backstory. But it kind of works for these guys that they all have something terrible that's weighting them down. Because the chief was trying to help them with that, too. Right? Like when he talks about how some people come and some people go. Because he was able to help some people. But I think some of those, though, are somewhat realistic. Their, their problems. Mm -hmm. Obviously not, you know, becoming a blob monster. But, you know, um, doing whatever it takes to get ahead in Hollywood is a yep. real problem. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, Cliff being a famous race car driver who screwed around and nearly lost his whole family, that's a real problem. Uh, see, Larry trying, you know, being gay in the, in the 30s, that's a, that's a problem. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's... Well, and it wasn't... It's not just that. I mean, it's that he ruined two other people's lives. Because he could never commit to one or the other. Right, but that's what I'm saying. The, the root of the problem, it's though, was, was, was that he was gay in the 30s and had to hide it. Yeah. And so yeah. he was tortured with what he needed to do. There was the love of his life. There was the storybook life that he was supposed to have. You know, so... Mm -hmm. But again, that's, but that's a realistic problem. Very much so. And so and it's not, to me, like, none of this is, like, created drama. Right. Which is why... Yeah, I no, think I would it, agree with that. Which is why I think it works, that everyone has a tragic mm -hmm. backstory. Right. I think it does work. Um, and that's... I mean, I'm, I've just been amazed with it. And my husband, who generally hates everything, um, he is not into superhero stuff, really, at all, in terms of, like, especially not DC... Um, not to put too fine a point on it, but he's even really enjoying this because it does feel so different <laughs> because some of the stuff that is off the wall really is funny. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as he says, Alan Tudyk is flawless. We don't as, deserve as Alan Tudyk. No, we really don't. He's a national treasure. <laughs> um, and like when in the, um, in the secondary part of the cult of the unwritten book, when he, when he gives her the pamphlet and she's like, you want to combat the decreator with the recreator? And he's like, we did not have time to think this through. <laughs> like, it was just great. I absolutely love that. Well, that, you know, and she's like, you know, prophesying about 
the you know the recreator and the, you know with the decreator and everyone's like well what is does it have to be a man and she's like well no you know and then he's narrating along with what these changes are and <laughs> like unfortunately jane was also crazy so what should we do dance dance like no one is watching <laughs> i love it because the eyeball because so the eyeball shows and i was like well We've been waiting for this. <laughs> all get together and start dancing. <laughs> Just so amazing. I loved it. And you know, the one thing, the final thing I will say that they didn't resolve is at the end of that episode, there's two eyeballs in a staring contest. Is that just how the world is now? They didn't really resolve if that went away or not. Because remember, they were like, well, what's going to happen? They're like, I guess it's a stare off. <laughs> Are there two eyeballs just staring at each other in their sky now for in perpetuity? Well, I don't I don't It wouldn't surprise me. Well, and why not? There's an admiral whiskers, I mean, and a prophesizing cockroach. Why not have right? two eyeballs in the sky staring at each other, which was actually really really funny to me. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. The whole thing, well, that's and as soon as the episode ended, my husband and I were like, is that is that just the way the world is now? It probably is. It all that stuff just cracks me up. So it is. It's just such a. I can't can't recommend it enough. If you it, again, DC Universe is doing so many free trials. There's what five, six issue, episodes now. Yeah. Easy to binge. If the first two episodes don't grab you, it probably won't. But I agree with that. Although it was the first episode for me. Oh yeah, me too. Like, it was definitely the first one for me. I think my husband was like, he was like, ah, I think so, yeah. And there was after the second one that he was like, oh, yeah, I like this. So if you get two episodes in and hmm, nothing, you know, you haven't lost anything. So it was a free trial. Cancel that crap. Mm -hmm. But I recommend it. I really like it. I think everybody I know who's been watching it, who started watching it, is like, oh, this is actually really good. And, of course, we've already talked about our surprising love for Titans. Yeah, I didn't That's see that one That's a longer burn. Yeah, that one's a longer burn, though. You have to give it a few more episodes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we won't talk about that one tonight. But <laughs> transitioning into what we've been reading, I have had, like, no comics the last two weeks. Uh, it's The Curse of Hipster Island. I think, like, not next week, but maybe the week after that. I have, like, six. When it rains, it pours. Um, so let's start with one that we're both reading, which is actually Maneaters. Which, oh man, um, where to begin with this? I, so I don't know, but I don't even know where to begin with this. So the series has been so strange, but delightfully, it's a Kate. I don't know if it's the art combined with the writing that, on one hand, part of me is like, well, that's just a little too on the nose, but I'll allow it. <laughs> It is really funny, like, in the art with the writing combined with it, it's... People accuse Chelsea Kane of making a statement with Mockingbird. She was not. She's making one now. She's making one now and hard. And, like, slapping um, you in the face with it. Yeah. But in a way that, I think, again, because of the art, to me, it still feels pretty tongue-in-cheek. That I like. Oh, I think it's all tongue-in-cheek. Like... I think her like, the idea of her making this bold statement is tongue in cheek. She's just like, "Oh yeah, you guys said I had a feminist agenda in Mockingbird. 
hold my beer and watch this type thing. Like, oh, yeah. It is so in your face. And Rand is saying, slow down. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, my favorite scene from this last issue, they're, they're in trouble. Things are about to go bad. Mom walks in the door. And she's drawn as a tampon with a superhero mask on and a samurai sword, which I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. And then after she deals with some police officers, she's a bloody tampon with a superhero mask and cape and samurai sword. Oh, my God. Um, but to the whole crux of this has been that girls, they have found a way to prevent menstruation in girls because there is a chance that girls can turn into man-eating panthers, literally, when <laughs> they go through their, go are on their period. And so it's funny, that part's, that's very funny, right? And so it's been this big thing that the daughter and her friends are trying to kind of rebel against that and have stopped taking any of the hormonal stuff and have triggered mm. their, well, I mean, I think they were already going through puberty, but they've triggered menstruation. And I think it's heavily hinted that one of the girls, I mean, one of the girls clearly has killed some people. Um, but guess what, everyone? <laughs> In a twist that nobody saw coming, maybe mom is also a panther? But she seems to have some control, it? yeah. This is, Super control over it. This is like why I can't wait for, for, for the next one because I'm like, oh boy, like, what is really, really going on here? Where's poor dad? Mm -hmm. Poor dad. He's like, trying to, you know, be cool about you know puberty, but has no idea how to talk to a girl about it. <laughs> right. Well, and I liked so the interesting thing about this issue was that I think, before this issue, we were both pretty anti-mom. The mom character seemed very aloof, very into her own cold. stuff. Very cold. She was actually, I think, given um, the traditional kind of dad role in a lot of books and stuff, where dad's the one who's like, I'm career-driven, that's the most important thing to me. Kids are just kind of a, you know, figure it out on your own, right? And so, and also in a very traditional male role, they get a divorce, and she leaves the kid to be raised by dad. Mm -hmm. Because that's not my job. Um, well, so they did she a got really... a better job. Yeah. So they did give her that very traditional male role, which might have been why I was having a problem with her. And um, now we discover that apparently she's leading a revolution. <laughs> which, okay, I'm on board. Well, maybe. Maybe. Right. Because she does, I mean, she does tell that old lady to sound the signal. Right. Not necessarily clear what signal she's sounding. Right. And, you know, and all before this, like, she was, like, pretty adamant about, you know, capturing this pan this panther that, that, that was out there, you know, very adamant mm -hmm. about we have these things in place to stop women from menstruating, like... Either that was all a front, or we have something else going on here. Right. Um, and with Chelsea Kane, I have no idea. It could go either way. 
any of those avenues. By the way, Chelsea Kane, I know you're not listening, but if by chance this reaches your ears, I love the fact that you brought corgis back into this. Oh my god, yes. That was last issue, right? Yes, because that's what they used to track the panther. Because apparently the panther won't eat the corgis or something, but probably because they're so cute. Right. But the panther is also nuts about corgi butts. I don't know who isn't nuts about corgi butts, to be honest. It's it's really uh it's really the truth. I did Yes, the fact that she brought in the like hunter seeker corgis was just wonderful. Um she has she actually has a lot of recurring themes, I've noticed that she likes. Um I liked yeah, I just I like the, the art and it is beautiful. I like a lot of the themes. Is a little on the nose, yes, but she also clearly knows it's on the nose. It is. I feel like everything in the series is very intentional, mm-hmm. which I think kind of makes it fun. I'm actually worried that it might not end up doing very well because it. This is one of the very few comic books that I have read in a long time that I was like, oh, this is for girls. This is this is straight up for girls. Like, oh yeah, there's a. Um, Oh shoot! What's what's the word I'm looking for? Is it a Rorschach test? Yeah, with yes. the ink blots, the ink blots just with with pads and period blood. Mm-hmm. Just, it is a very very female series, and I mean that in the best of ways. Right, right. Which I love. I um, I am totally on board. Which like I was describing it to my husband, and we were talking about it and I was reading some stuff in there like especially from the uh, men's survival guide that was entire issue right. made like a man's survival guide magazine for how to deal with women and panthers mm-hmm. and I'm there like wiping tears reading this because a lot of the stuff that they have in there is a lot of tips that girls are given to how to stay safe from, from boy predators. And now here's all this mm-hmm. stuff. So I am dying laughing. I'm reading this stuff out loud. And my husband's like, I don't understand what, what what's so funny. Like, that's just horrible. And it's like, like, dude, this is stuff that we get told to do. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, because you guys need to protect yourselves. I'm like, nah, you're missing the point here. The point is, is that you're saying we have to protect ourselves, not let's you know, tell men to stop being douchebags. Right. Uh, you know, it's like I was, I was telling you, it's like the thing that cracks me up the most about this is that this thing about girls becoming panthers is new and it's from the taxoplasmosis, which is an actual thing from cat it species. Is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mutated and so that... And only affects girls when they're going through puberty. So instead of doing like, hey, why don't we ban household cats? It's stop the periods. Yes. <laughs> like the most logical answer is right in front of you. Like, let's stop supporting men for having douchebag behavior. That's very obvious. And so we're just going to do the, you know, the one thing that wouldn't put them out because they still want to have cats. And it's not fair that maybe they can't have cats because... Right. And have those nasty periods. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. And it's hilarious to me. Oh. Absolutely hilarious to me. So that series, I'm so, 
I'm so glad you decided to start reading with me. Because that series remains just, every time I get it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a wild ride and fun. Oh, oh yeah. Like, because uh, you read it sooner than, than I did. Like, I think we both bought the first issue at the same time. But then you started reading it, and I did not. I just didn't start reading it till about last week. And I was after the first issue, I was like, oh, hell no. And you ended up buying, like, all the issues. Read them all in, like, geez, like, maybe, probably a couple of hours. And I was like, wait, but what? What's going to happen next? Like, it's driving me crazy. And thank God, like, that next issue was actually coming the following day. But now, now I'm in the having to wait with all the commoners. You know, these John Hipster Islands, partially, like, you got the day pass. It, um, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of it. It is, I hope, I hope it does well. I hope she can do more. I'm just happy that she's back doing comics again. And I love, I love her dialogue. It moves very, and the thing that I like about it, too, is that unlike, um, What's the name of that movie? That stupid movie. Juno. Unlike Juno or like other movies of that ilk where teenagers do not talk at all like teenagers, she does actually manage to keep her kids have smart dialogue. But it doesn't feel unnaturally smart. So I like that. I, I just, I really like the way that the dad and the mom talk versus the kids. And yeah, I just really like, I love her dialogue. I hope. I hope it continues, and I hope this series does well, because it is very funny. <laughs> Bloody tampon woman. Anyways, <laughs> you have, oh my gosh, all the X-Men's, not actually, not actually, not all the X-Men's we know, because Seth is reading the rest of the X-Men's. Yeah, Seth is reading, like, the rest of the X-Men's, but, like... So you have Uncanny X-Men. I have Uncanny X-Men, and... So it's once again, you know, Cyclops and Wolverine like trying to form this team and they're trying to fight against the Mutant Liberation Front who is actually being headed by Hope. Who's just a little mad that Cable is dead. And, yeah. And she's pissed off that Cyclops is back from the dead. Because she's like, you know, she's like, of all the Summers to come back to life, why did it have to be you? I was like, damn, girl. It's not an invalid question. Well, I don't know, Cyclops is, funny thing about Cyclops is that he and Logan are actually working together very well. Like, they've really established that they're kind of like co-chairs mm-hmm. in this, and they both look to one another for answers. Because, like, Cyclops, he'll be like, so what do you think? Do you think I handled this well? He's like, do you care what I think? He's like, I'm trying something new. And Wolverine's like, well, actually, that's exactly how I would have handled it. So, hey, you know, um... Like the, 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 this is all working. So, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to work together. But what was crazy was that Hope, she was trying to assassinate a senator. And they mm-hmm. went and tried to stop it. She ends up shooting at Cyclops. And he doesn't turn away fast enough. And she shoots out one of his eyes. So he's now literally a Cyclops. Which is like both sad and Ooh. kind of funny at the same time. That is actually really funny. But there's a problem. And that's because he doesn't have two outlets now for the optic blasts. His brain can easily overload. And he's and could kill him one day. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I'm curious how that's all gonna work out. Like, Wolverine is, like, pissed. Like, he almost killed Hope. He's like, he tried to. 
over that. Like, he just was very angry. He's like, yeah, you're going to die for that. Because I don't think they knew Cyclops was going to live or not because he was, you know, shot in the eye. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And of That's all, crazy. And of all people, they have to heal him. They have Dark Beast. Is he still doing the magic stuff? No, 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 no. That was... That was OG Beast. Like, in the original five. Right. And he's been sent back to his time and they've, he's forgotten everything. Of course. Well, they had to, otherwise right. they really can't... Right. Things can't go the way right. that they're supposed to go. So, no, this is Dark Beast, I guess, from, like... I don't know, the Age of Apocalypse or some alternate dimension oh, or something. right. I remember us talking about this now, yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Sure. Why not? Well, I mean, the real beast is gone. Because ex-Jesus killed them all. Right. Fun. Yeah. We have way too many um, Nathan Summers Greys running around. Right yeah, now. I bet. Well, because, you know, well, X-Jesus is like, well, he's dead. And then in X-Force, you got Kid Cable. And mm -hmm. at the end of, like, not this issue, but last issue, the X-Force Strife shows up. And it's like, who wants this asshole back? But he doesn't know Kid Cable as Cable. He knows, or as even Nathan Summers, he knows him as a man named Dayspring. So I was like, right, what's going on? So I was reading before we started because I wanted to make sure like that I have this all straight. Because this is confusing as fuck. And I was trying to wrap my head around it. And Seth was just like, just don't think about it, Carrie. Just go with it. I'm like, I, I can't. I, I can't do it. So you find out that this kid cable is from a future 2,000 years from now, which is obviously not when Nathan Summers, because Nathan Summers right. was sent in the future 12 years. I've always thought that was a right. really specific number, but that's when he was sent to the future. And his future is going through like a time storm where things are going back and forth, and he learns that it's because of... When the uh, original five X-Men were brought back, uh, his older self, which makes no sense, his older self didn't, you know, stop it. He, he let his emotions get the better of him and didn't mm -hmm. send them back immediately. So they're like, you have to go there and you have to set it right. Because Strife is evidently like this terrorist who is going out and killing everybody. In mm -hmm. 2,000 years in the future, because, sure, why not have an alternate version of Nathan Summers killing another Nathan Summers? Because. Because. That's how the Marvel do. Right. So, it turns out, so yes, there's this time storm happening. But it seems to be that. That this whole thing was the reason why that we have a Nathan Summers in 2000 years in the future is that he's like an alternate timeline reality oh, Nathan Summers that's in the future along with Strife. Like these aren't the same ones that we know. So he may not actually be related to that cable, which I guess opens the door for cable coming back. I suppose. 
So we had this philosophical conversation today in our Slack chat about which is worse, time travel or multi or multiverses. And for DC, I would say it's definitely multiverses. But oh my gosh, I was gonna say that for, I would say that for Marvel, it's definitely the time travel stuff. But somehow this series managed to combine both time travel and multiverses, alternate slash alternate timelines. And now I'm back to not being able to decide which is the worst. No, uh, yeah, like, so I was like, you know, at the end of the, the last issue, when they kill Ahab, which I'm like, that's just going to mess things up. And he's like, um, he's like, you have no idea like what you've unleashed by, by being here. And I wish I could be here to see it. And that's when, that's when he dies. And then Strife shows up. So it's like, okay, so. Where is this all leading? Especially when you find out that Rachel Summers, who Ahab was able to revert back to a hound, has disappeared down mm -hmm. a time portal. All I've wanted to do since reading these last two issues of, of X-Force is to just get that panel from Bobby Drake's birthday party with his mom saying, all right, you and your effing time travel shit, like, I'm out. Like, yes, Mrs. Drake. Yes, Mrs. Drake. I am out. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, obviously this is leading to some sort of reboot of massive proportions. Mm -hmm. But cut the shit out. Like, Marvel, DC, both of you, cut it out. This is not entertaining. I don't know who finds this entertaining, but I'd like to meet that person and have them explain to me why all this time travels, alternate timelines, multiverse crap is entertaining. Right. You know, I think we've said that a lot with DC before, too. But, yeah, there's a lot of DC and Marvel stuff where I'm like, can somebody tell me why this is a good thing? And so I can glare at you, I guess. And how this whole thing now with like Kid Cable maybe being an alternate timeline cable and strife, like how does this not open up all the plot holes? Well, because they'll just explain it away with alternate timelines and time travel. But every time you use that as, a, as an explanation, you open up more plot holes. Yes, but you just keep filling it with more plot, with that more of that. It, it really is. It really is the self-continuing problem, right? Like, it really reminds me of again. And I used to, in my in my younger days, I worked in banking back when you could still uh, kite checks. It's check kiting. That's all they're doing. It's insane. Yeah. I, for the non-old people who may be listening to this and don't know what check kiting was, you write, you have a bank account at bank A and a bank account at bank B. You write a check for $500 to bank B and go and deposit it. Then you go and spend all that money and then you write a check from bank B to cover the stuff, the withdrawal from bank A. And you just keep going back and forth. But the problem is, is that you keep having to increase that amount of money. So you start with like $100 and you end up with like 15000 not a joke, actually. We had a member. What's happened to? Um, but 
it's, it's what it is. is. They're just like, oh, we'll use time travel to explain it. But doesn't that kind of open plot holes? Alternate timelines, but more plot holes. We got more time travel, though. Just, like, keeps escalating, going back and forth, and they just keep digging out the hole deeper and deeper and deeper, and now none of this makes any sense. Except to say, time travel and alternate timelines. I would almost be happier with a wizard doing it. Let's just get Stephen Strange in here. Snap his fingers. Right. I mean, at this point, like, get the Flash over there. Borrow the Flash to have a Flashpoint. I'd be cool with that. Yeah. As long as Rogue and Gambit stay married. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Fix literally everything except for this. Yeah, but you know what? Acceptable losses, man. Omelets and eggs. No. To fix the entirety of the X-Men? No, it's not acceptable to me. <laughs> oh, no! Oh, my God. See? Okay, well, then, you know, you have no one to blame but yourself. I suppose. Actually, that, it's true, <laughs> because I buy this shit. Although, oh, yeah. I'm well, about... I think I'm going to cut my losses with X-Force, though. I don't know if I can deal with this. With Kid you just Cable sound like you're not enjoying and it at Strife. all. And the problem, like, I liked it at first... Mm -hmm. The art, though, is killing me. I do not like right. the art at all. So I think I might, you know, cut my losses there. And if it gets good again later, I'll just get trades. It's what I did with Green Arrow. It worked out just fine. Trades usually end right. up being cheaper down the line anyway. Oh, yeah, because you can get them on sale come Christmas time and stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And Black Friday. Yeah, you'll be able to get them then. Yeah, so speaking of art... The other issue that I had this last, this is week, actually, today, was Die. I love the art in this series so much. There are so many panels that I want to just, like, print off and frame. Because they are so beautiful. But the series, it, so it was always intriguing. But it got, like, holy crap good, this last issue. So this is the one with the group of people who they went to the fantasy D&D &D world where they were actually in the D&D &D world when they were kids. They were there for two years. They came back minus one of the members of their party, and they were unable to talk about it. Now, as adults, they are back there, and they've revealed that the friend who didn't come back has basically made himself the grandmaster of the world, and he's kind of been messing with them. Apparently the rules to the game are that all of the players have to want to go home to get out. So they devise this plot to get their friend there with them. They're all together in a group and they're like, okay, let's go. And he's like, I'm not leaving. So one of the friends kills him. Straight up kills him. All right. And is like, all right, now we can go home. So everybody kind of gets into a circle. And is like, let's go home. And as they're about to go home, one of the friends, Chuck, he, in real life, he, they couldn't talk about what happened to the him, him, them directly. But he did have the memories of their adventures. So he started writing fantasy books. And he's now this world-famous author and very wealthy and whatever. But he's just, he's just a complete douche like he's just he wasn't a good person ever and so he's like you know what 
there are elvish chick here, chicks here that I can bang whenever I want. I'm in great shape. I'm a rogue. I don't want to go back. It's like, my family doesn't even like me. My kids will be happy to inherit all of my money. I'm not going back. And, of course, two of the people, two other people in the party, they're married with kids. So they're both like, no, 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 we're going home because we want to get home to our children immediately. And he's just like, I'm not doing it. Another woman in the party who is single, she always has been, she's on bad terms with her parents. There's a story there, but they haven't gotten to it yet. She's like, you know what? He's right. We've just caused a major humanitarian crisis here. We can actually be heroes here and do something good. I have nothing for me back home. We're staying. So she opens the portal and they leave. And so the other three members are like, shit, now we have to get them back. And it's this interesting thing because one of the characters, the girl, Ash, who had killed the first friend was like, we're just going to straight up kill them if they don't want to go home. Because we're going home. And it was this, and as I was reading it this morning, I was like, oh my god. Like, just the idea, because before it was this idea of like, you've gotten transported to this magical land and that's really crazy. And you know, you always do the, what if I was in this situation, right? And there was always that niggling thought in the back of my head that two of these characters have kids that they really want to get home to and they're really worried about that. So I was like, oh, that would be really scary. But then this idea that two of your friends are actively preventing you from getting home to your kids? Holy shit, what would I do in that situation? How terrifying and awful would that be? So this is, the series got a little dark a little quickly because I actually thought they were going to end it and wrap it up because as they start progressing towards the end and they're having the big confrontation with their friend and they're like, we're going to go home. So it's like, wow, this must be a short series. Mm-hmm. No, friends. So on one hand, I was kind of also just like, really? They want to stay. But, I mean, they explain it very well. They're like, and the one, the one girl, she's basically a paladin who wants to stay she explains, she's like, you know what? We came here and we just caused absolute havoc for the people of this world. Who we know, they might not be like actual real people from our world, but they are people. This mm-hmm. world does exist. And we have just destroyed, we've just destroyed a major piece of it. That's awful of us. Like, what kind of people are we if we then just leave, exit stage right? And I could space really argue. Right? I actually couldn't argue with her logic there. I was like, you know, she's not wrong. Yeah, you want to get home to your kids, but you just destroyed, like, thousands of lives. That's not good. So, they deployed an old trope, but it was one that I at least couldn't argue with. And I think I've said this before, but I will say it again until it becomes a reality. I so very badly want to play this version of the RPG that they're playing. The character classes are so wonderful. (laughs) She's this type of paladin who she can ask favors of the gods, but then they demand a favor in return. They demand basically payment in return. Mm. So like this one girl, she had demanded a favor of this one goddess and the goddess was like, okay, now you have to pay me back. And her payment was that the girl had to read, like, her 14-year-old diary to a congregation of people. Oh. Can you imagine? No. Like, it's stuff that, as I read, I'm genuinely, like, 
oh, that would be so bad. So, it's, as I said, it's a very, it's just such a good series, and it is for any fans of RPGs and just dark fantasy in general. Um, it's Kieran Gillen. The writing's, the, the art, bleh, the writing is wonderful, but the art is something truly special. The character designs and the sense of movement in it, it, actually, I shouldn't even say the art is very good. It's the coloring that really stands out. Mm. Like, there are some panels that I look at, and I'm just like, what was the, what was the original drawing here? Like, it must have been, like, four lines, <laughs> and the colorist went in with everything else. It is, it's stunning. So that I'm just absolutely loving. And I recommend it to friends and family, especially Larry from. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna let up on that particular one, Larry. Um, and then so you had you had your little bit of Marvel, but then you also had two things in DC because you had Heroes in Crisis. Yes, which is um, about to come to an end. <clears throat> and, Finally, um, Larry. <laughs> oh, poor Larry. Larry is about to basically just flip over all the things and rage. <laughs> And like just cancel all the tables. Yeah, and cancel all of his DC. Because like like we said, this has been a murder mystery. Right. And as uh, Barbara has she's showed up and she's like tried to calm Har- Harley Quinn down to mm-hmm. hey, let's go find Booster Gold and let's talk. Alright. Let's let's talk this out. Well, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle or examining Wally's body and they're like this can't be the body because it's five days older than it should be so they're trying to figure that out Harley comes in and she's just like I'm gonna kill Booster and Purpose like no you said we said no killing and she's like oh I'm killing him mm-hmm. so she's you know doing the nursery rhyme thing just super creepy while she's trying to kill him and finally booster just like stops fighting back and just lays down and he's like fine you know what kill me because i've been a failure all my life i've failed at being a superhero in my own time i failed at being a superhero here i'm just a big old failure so just go on ahead and and end it and mm-hmm. harley brings down the knife and she plants it like beside his head and she lays down as harley does and she lays down and she's like yeah, I've been a failure too. And so it's like this moment where they all just like, like, okay, are we, are we cool now? We're not going to, we're not going to kill one another. And they kind of realize that neither one of them killed everybody. Right. And, and then, so Larry's big fear. Well, so while, then they go to Wally out in a field of flowers and he looks like he does some lightning in one of the flowers. So it's like some time thing. That's one thing we could think of. And poison ivy comes out of the flower. Mm-hmm. And she's like, so why did you help me? He's like, oh, I didn't help you. I hurt you so badly. And I hurt so many other people. And he said, and I'm really sorry what, you're, what I'm about to do to you now. She's like, what? She's like, because you're about to see me die. And... Just right behind her is another version of Wally. So it seems like Wally has been the mass murderer. 
Something to do with time travel. I guess. At least he brought Poison Ivy back. I guess. Right. But Larry, his thing, what he thinks is going to happen, and there's some merit to this, is that if Wally West is the killer, Mm -hmm. that Flash is going to go nuts because he's going to blame Batman because he's already mad at Batman for not having, um, you know, this place protected like he said he would. Mm -hmm. And um, he's going to go up against the Trinity and possibly cause another flashpoint. To which... You know what, though? At this point, it's about fucking time. Well, but at the same time, it's like, then how does this fall in line with Doomsday Clock? Is this all going to do, like, timed around the same time? Because that could be interesting. It won't matter because we've had a flashpoint and that shit is all irrelevant now. Look, at this... With DC, I have finally reached the point of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Just... Scrap it all and start over. I don't care how many unsolved plot arcs and questions you have. Just wipe that board clean. Well, I have a few other questions because what was written in the walls of Sanctuary and Blood was something about the peddlers. We still haven't gotten that mystery solved. Like, what is that? What is that referring to? Right. Oh, that was like, that was like three cycles ago, Carrie. They've moved on. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Come on, Tom King. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, uh, mm-hmm. well, whenever it ends, we're going to have to have Larry back on. So, yes. Because it's either going to be one of, one of two Larrys. It's either going to be Smug Larry or Angry Larry. And both could be a lot of fun. Although I'm kind of secretly rooting for Angry Larry. <laughs> I am too. I like, I kind of want to send him a box of popsicle sticks so he could just break them angrily <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> like, don't destroy your furniture. Have some popsicle sticks. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, they gotta just, yeah, wipe the slate and start clean. Because. The other series you're reading is still not talked about the Justice League dark stuff. Well, no, but they're they're kind of busy right now. (laughs) They're in trap. They should be busy losing all their powers. They're busy in the magic, the various magic lands. And the crazy thing about that is that Black Adam has showed up to save them. Like, he's all like, like, he kind of went back there and he's like, Seriously, there's a reason why that we had this whole area blocked off. He's like, well, at least at least Monsterland is still secured. Okay, that's cool. I got to find where everybody else is and get them out. Because a couple of them have been booted out of the Funlands. And they're in this like proverbial video game land. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's the world of Tron. That's, right. That's kind, kind of where they are. But back in the Funlands, though... When they found, when, because it's a bunch of kids running the place, when they found out that Mary was 18 and she's really an, an adult in their minds, they're like, you have to send her below. So then Shazam mm-hmm. pops up. They're like, oh my God, you're not really a kid. You're an adult too. We have to send you below. 
they finally get below because he's trying to save Mary. Like, what is the below? And what it is is that this king of the Funlands, he brings all these kids here, like orphans and kids who are abused or kids who are not happy or runaways. And as soon as they become adults, he puts them in the below because he need he needs the adults to run the power for the Funlands. So he basically has all these kids who've been there, and then he enslaves them at the time that they're 18. Interesting. Yeah, it's like, wow, this took a really dark turn. Yeah, that did. Holy crap. And meanwhile, back in the real world, Billy's father, that I'm doing in air quotes, who looks just like Shazam, you know, because they're like, oh my god, where'd the kids go? We can't find the kids anywhere, so they have to call the police, and they're like, no, like, they were up there. And he's like, oh, this mm -hmm. is all my fault. Billy always runs away from me. And they're like, well, we thought you were dead. He's like, no, he just always runs away from me. And then that's how that ends. So, like, we got all these mysteries going on at once. It's kind of nuts. Did I mention that DC is throwing anything and everything at the wall to see what sticks? I'm hoping the movie's going to be good this weekend. Yeah, probably, actually. I have very high hopes for it. Um, I had read an early preview of it from... Shoot. I can't remember who the early preview was from. It was a site that I trust... So there's only like a few of those, but um, in terms of movie reviews, and they had they were just glowingly positive about it. Yeah, Seth said it was fun. He said it was a lot of fun. He and his son got to go early. Oh, lucky dogs. Yeah, he said it was a lot of fun. I was like, good. That's all I really want. Right. Exactly. Well, that's what basically what this preview said is they were like, it's allowing DC, it's DC allowing superheroes to be fun again. And that it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't get bogged down with major drama or grim dark shit. So that's that's really all I wanted from it. I think my daughter and I are gonna go see it in a couple of weekends. Um, we have two free tickets for Alamo, but you can't use them on new releases. You have to wait two weeks. So, oh, we'll go and see it then. Um, but I'm excited for it. Now we're going Friday. Nice. I was able to get tickets that opening night day and I actually got tickets for opening day on Endgame. Nice. We had to wait until Sunday. Um I wasn't gonna take my kid out of school for it and wait for it. Hockey practice. Um but <laughs> no I can't can't skip that. Um but we're gonna go on Sunday and that weekend and I'm so excited. Because I think we were talking about this earlier is that Starting Thursday, you're basically going to have to avoid all of the internet. Oh, yeah. Until you see it. I could be able to open Imager or Reddit. What do I do? Um, and Facebook and Twitter and any other place where I know people who watch movies. Man, I will start defriending people on Facebook. Yeah. Well, I don't even want to. And I know that we talked about this before. But in, uh, Infinity War was so good. But it had a but at the end of it, right? It was so good. But it needs to stick the landing. So 
I don't even want to have people being like, eh, I'm not really sure, because I don't want to have my opinion tainted before I go in. Right. So I'm just going to have to make sure that my husband keeps his big mouth shut, because he'll definitely be like, oh, these people are saying all this. I don't care. No, they're probably wrong anyway. Right, well, the thing, my new favorite argument for that is how much people hated Venom, like, hated it. We enjoyed it, it was fun. I'm not saying it was the next great American classic, but it was fun. It yeah, was good. It was fun. Still better than both Thors. First two. Which is why I'm agreeing to take my kid to see Dark Phoenix. Because honestly, it was between Dark Phoenix or Transformers Rise of Unicron, and it's seriously Wait. like choosing between a shit sandwich and a vomit milkshake. Honestly, and you know my feelings on this, I would definitely take, um, I would definitely take Dark Phoenix before I go and watch another Transformers movie. Bumblebee doesn't count. No, Bumblebee d does does not count. No, I. Now, when I started thinking about the possibility of sitting through another, um, the last night, and I remembered how the last night ended and what Unicron is, I was like, nope, 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 can't do it. Can't, can't, fine, I'll go watch stupid Jean Grey on the screen. Don't ruin this for me, because he is just a world-eating planet, that's all he is. No, he's actually Earth. Shut up. In these movies. Shut up. He's the Earth's core. I survived Headmasters. If you didn't read the friggin' Transformers comics, look it up. I survived that. I will not tolerate this BS. How do you think? Oh, wait a minute. Dark Phoenix doesn't come out till like, the summer. Yeah. Oh, y'all are planning ahead. I thought you meant, like, you were going, like, this weekend. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. No, no. I was like, wait a minute, how are you guys going so early? I thought it was a summer movie. No, 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 no. He's he's just making me, because he wants to go to both. And I can't. Mm. And I did force Sean to take to take the bullet for Fallen Kingdom. Mm -hmm. So glad. Right, I do remember that. So glad I didn't do that. <laughs> and I took them to see last night. To which, like, within, like, the first five minutes of the movie, we're at Studio Movie Girl, and I asked for a margarita. Then about nice. halfway through the movie, I asked for another margarita. And then, when they found out what Unicron was, I nearly flipped my margarita. I was like, this movie is bullshit, and you, you guys, you, you suck, and Stanley Tucci should be ashamed of being in this movie. I love Stanley Tucci because he is flawless in everything that he does and he's just a great actor but he definitely I think he probably leans heavier towards the Samuel L. Jackson philosophy of never saying no to anything and that's fine because because he shows up in some stuff where I'm just like what what are you what are you doing here friend this is not this is not for you you were too good of an actor to be here. Okay, well, how about this? Anthony Hopkins was in it. You want to take us out, Carrie? <laughs> I sure, I sure will. So thank you all once again for listening. Oh, Jen's like, 
going through the faces um, right now. Jen.exe has stopped responding. Yeah. <laughs> we need to reboot her in a minute. Just like yes. DC. Um, thank you all for listening again to Yelling About Comics. Uh, you can always find us on the website at yellingaboutcomics.com and we are on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Stitcher. You can find us also on Twitter. The site is Yell About Comics. Jen is at Jen Bozier and I am at Crunchy Chocobo. And of course, we're also on Facebook at Yelling About Comics. Uh, I'm totally blanking because I suck at doing this. So I'm just going to go on ahead and say we got nothing else, but you know, going to see Shazam on Friday. I hope other people are going to go see see Shazam soon. And with that, I will just say good night and good luck. Courage and honor. <laughs> <laughs>